Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, you may notice that this podcast episode is a tad longer than our normal podcast episodes. It is because I truly don't feel like it is my job to edit or filter women's stories. And so I try my best to keep it 45 minutes or below, but sometimes when somebody has something to share, it may go a little bit longer and that's okay. And so you'll notice I didn't ask a whole lot of questions here. Sarah shares her story of dealing with people who have addictions and we the last episode that went this long was about somebody who was an addict and so I think it's really important that we share these things so there is more awareness around them so I hope you'll enjoy Sarah's journey and find it as valuable as I did thank you Hey guys, today I'm here with Sarah. Sarah is the 35-year-old mother of three boys, ages 16, 13, and 10. She has been married to her best friend, soulmate slash husband, Cameron, for almost three years. And I love the name Cameron because my son's name is Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) She resides in Virginia Beach. Sarah has been working in the medical field for over nine years. She enjoys shopping, cooking, and baking, hanging out with her family, and date nights with her husband. So Sarah, take us back because you haven't always had this wonderful relationship with your husband. You had a pretty toxic relationship before now. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I did. Um, yes, my name is Sarah. Um, I have been married to my husband now for almost three years. However, my three children are from a previous marriage, all three of them. Um, and I was married to a very older man, actually. Um, I was 17 when I got pregnant and he was 29. Um, <laughs> didn't know that he was 29 at the time, but um, yes, he is, was 29. And um, what, what do most 17 year olds that get knocked up do? They, they go in, you know, the way that we solve the problems back at that time was we, we got to get married, right? Right. <laughs> That's the answer. So, um, I was never in love with this man. Um, and, uh, it it was more of like a, a holy shit, what am I supposed to do? So, um, came from a family where I'm one of six and zero addiction, never even introduced to addiction from a family member, from uh, family friends, no idea what, you know, I mean, I hate saying this, but the the cliche and ignorant way of of what i saw an addict was and only an addict was like you know the Heroine. the stinky man right there you go the stinky man standing on the corner outside the 7-eleven asking right. for money for change or um the woman missing all of her teeth and you know uh, track marks all down her arms like that's the only thing that an addict could possibly look like right right um so uh married this man and into this relationship realized um right away that you know just things weren't right but i was young and um hellbent on 
doing things without help. And so I kind of like grinded and bared down through it and um, didn't know again what addiction was. Later find out that I had married a sex addict um, or so what was told to us in marriage counseling. Um, my ex-husband was continuously on porno sites, continuously. Um, my ex-husband would reach out to people on, at that time, Craigslist. I don't even know if Craigslist, like women for women, men for men site things are still up or not. Um, but right. at that time it was, um, as was my space. That's how <laughs> I'm throwing my age out there. My hey space. girl, I'm 32. <laughs> I'm not that much younger than you. Yeah, right? So, um, and asking, uh, people to send, um, you know, inappropriate pictures. And he was taking pictures of his genitals and sending them out. And I I would come across this stuff on a regular basis. And um, again, I'm young and I was a high school dropout um, with really no education. He was the worker. Um, and, and really it was a very beating down situation. Um, it, it literally, it destroyed me mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, constantly looking in the mirror and thinking, why is, why is this man that's supposed to be in love with me always, you know, running to internet porn and getting other girls to send him pictures. And I catch him masturbating all the time. And yet I'm right here. Like, what is wrong with me? Mm. Um, but much like the, and again, I find this out later on in life, all the active addicts out there they are master manipulators. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's just part of, it's part of the addiction. It doesn't matter what the addiction is. If it's a drug addiction, you know, uh, sex addiction, alcoholism, at the end of the day, it all boils down to addiction and they are fantastic manipulators. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this went on for years. Um, and the way that I started dealing with it was I mean, literally, we ended up being what the um, therapist said was in a sexless relationship. I mean, I, I didn't want this man that was that that constantly had was reaching out to other women and do all this stuff. I mean, I didn't want him touching me. We slept right. in separate bedrooms for years. Like my children grew up thinking that mom and dad have their own bedrooms, like like in the fifties or something, like right. you know, separate beds, like they legit thought that that was quote unquote normal. And, um, finally uh, back in 2013, you know, just like an addict has their rock bottom. Um, the ones that are dealing with the addicts, codependents, whatever you want to call them, we have a rock bottom too. Yeah. And in 2013, my youngest son brought over a laptop that, um, was a work laptop of my ex-husband's and was like, mom, can you sign me on to a game or whatever? I was like, sure, whatever. So open it up and I find this email address that I've never seen before. And the password is already in there. So I'm like, you know, what is this? So log in. And at that time, my ex-husband had been working out of town. Um, he only came home for a day and a half and then he was back out. He was in Northern Virginia. He would be up uh, down in North Carolina. So he was all over the place. And, um, and, and honestly, at that point in time, I didn't care. I didn't mind. As a matter of fact, the day that he would be coming home, I'd be bawling my eyes out because I knew that it would be a day and a half living in, you know, a hellhole with this man. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so open up this uh, email and I find, I can't even begin to tell you how many emails, pictures, um, where he was, I'm at this hotel, I'm trying to hook up with a, another married person, even men. Um, I, I want to find somebody that's in a relationship that way, um, you know, if you tell on me, I tell on you kind of deal. Oh, wow. Um, call me only during these hours. Um, can't have my wife find out. And finally, you know, like the thing is Megan too, is I've, I wanted out of that relationship for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was stuck. I was scared. I was yeah. number one. I was terrified because that man made me very aware. If you ever try to leave, I'm going to make your life a living hell. Mm -hmm. Um, but not only that, like, I, and by the way, backing up just a tidbit, in this time frame, because I said I was a high school dropout, which I am, I went and got my GED and then I went back to school to get into the medical field um, because I knew I needed to get out right. um, because during the first parts of our marriage, he did not want me working. And to mm. me, he didn't want me working because that was a way of control. That yep. was a way of making sure that I did not better myself to get out of the situation. But through, you know, hey, our family needs a little bit more money. This would be great. You know, doing a little bit of, I guess, manipulation on my own. Mm -hmm. um, I managed to convince the, oh, yeah, go back to school. Get your degree in this. Oh, you've got a job with this huge company in um, in Virginia, uh, Hampton Roads area. Um, this is great. Wonderful. And so slowly that was me gaining my independence to get out of the situation. But truly fear is what really, really drove me. I, I wanted out of this relationship for the longest time. And I just didn't have like the quote unquote, like solid proof to be able to leave. Because in the past, if I'd ever found him on all these porn websites or um, talking to other people, as soon as he found out that I'd found it, he would delete it. So mm -hmm. I had no proof. So I found this email and I, I, I immediately called my brother and I'm like, log on to this email address. Get the, here's the password. I need you to get on here and I need you to like seriously like download all of this stuff because like shit is getting ready to hit the fan, but I need the proof. Right. So um, one of my awesome brothers absolutely did it. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. There was so much shit, Megan that he tried to do it. He tried to download it on the computer and it wouldn't even hold it. He had to go out and get like a, um, what, what are those things called? Um, the hard my, drive. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He had to go out and get one of those because that's how much stuff there was. Wow. Um, so, uh, confronted him and immediately was like, this relationship is done. I'm, you know, I, I've had enough. I'm, uh, at that time, I was 29. I was like, I am not dealing with this anymore. You have sucked all of my 20s. I refuse to give you my 30s. So, um, you know, that, that relationship, the, the divorce was, um, I can tell you right now, my, my attorney, who I still have to this day, is like, you have the case from hell. <laughs> He's like, this is one of the worst cases I've ever dealt with as does my children's guardian at items. They're like, you are in one of the top five worst <laughs> situations that wow. we've ever had to deal with. Um, because it, he, my ex-husband is, he is still an active addict. On top of that, I know that he has, um, undiagnosed mental illnesses, right. um, which 
you know, that, that is, that, that is something that, how do you force somebody to address that? You can't, you know? Um, but all of the therapists that, that we've done through the, um, attempted reconciliation therapy with my children and all that, like they've all put in their notes, like, you know, this dude, personality disorder, there, there's something there. We just, you can't force somebody to get evaluated for that stuff and then right. attempt to tr- get them treatment. So, um, yeah, left that relationship. Um, I ventured out and, and lived on my own for the very first time ever, because again, I was pregnant at 17. I literally left my mother and father's house and moved in with him. I never lived on my own. So when I was, um, when I was 30, here I am moving into my own little house with all three of my boys, um, single for the first time. Um, it was, it, it was hard, but I cannot begin to tell you that I would have picked that lifestyle any day over what I used to live. Mm-hmm. Um, what I used to live, I mean, I had a, we, we had bought a house, a four bedroom, two and a half bathroom house, um, two awesome cars. I mean, the amount of money that he made, it was like, it was nothing to go out and go shopping and drop a couple hundred dollars here and there. And, you know, but that will never compensate for the torture that you are living in, um, with somebody that is so toxic and, um, really dangerous too, because, and again, I think that that'll just be another program for what he, um, what he has, how do I word this? Because he's never been convicted. What has been, um, uh, what do they say? Uh, um, the accused or, I mean, the, um, what is it called? Accusational abuse. Um, because again, he's never been fully convicted. Um, but that's, that's a whole nother series. But, um, I, uh, so here I am 30 moved out on my own living in um, a house with my boys living paycheck to paycheck. And yet, even though that was hard, like life was beautiful. I mean, it was like, I could, I didn't have to answer to anybody. I could come and go as I please. You know, if I wanted to have ice cream for dinner, (laughs) you know, then that's what we could have. Like it was amazing. And my children, you know, a lot of divorce does affect kids. I I do believe that. And, but my kids, they had like, such a weight lifted off their shoulder because they lived in such a toxic right. environment. And none of us truly realized that until we got out of it. And so, um, you know, with talking through, um, therapists and stuff, you know, they're like, you, you've left a horrible relationship, stay single for a while, figure out Sarah, don't go hopping into another relationship. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I, I did and I didn't, um, yeah, I found, you know, a, a guy that I liked and, um, I immediately like tried to latch on and it didn't work out and I was devastated. And, um, and after, after that little, and it was a very short lived relationship with <laughs> literally like two sentences worth. Sarah met this guy, Sarah got, uh, Sarah latched onto him too hard. He left into the sentence. <laughs> it was a very short lived little relationship. But after that relationship, I was like, 
I, I'm loving this single thing. I don't need anybody. All I need is myself. I'm not going to even say I need my children because my children are independent people. I love them, right. but I don't need them to find my happiness. My happiness is just that. It's mine. I can't put that on my kids. So my kids make me, you know, they, they, does, it, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, no, I love my absolutely. children. But mm -hmm. they, but they can't, they can't make me happy. Like I have mm -hmm. to make Sarah happy. Yep. So, um, here I am like, okay, I'm, I'm this like new, like, uh, this new independent woman, like ain't no guy going to tell me what to do ever again. <laughs> you know? like, if a guy starts getting too attached to me, kick their ass out. I'm done. Like I, I, I come and go as I please. I'm Sarah. And, <laughs> and, um, one of my at the time, girlfriends, co-workers, uh, was having a birthday party and um, invited myself and the boys. And lo and behold, her son is there. And um, I eat my future husband. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he, it was a laser tag birthday party. And I don't do that kind of stuff. Um, I'm very, very girly. And, um, so he offered to take my youngest son in to do the laser tag stuff, which my younger son at the time had literally like, I think just turned five and he was, he went in and was terrified, like about crap his pants. So <laughs> here comes this guy whisking out my youngest son who's crying like a super, you know, hero. Here's your son. I, you know, I don't want him to be upset, blah, 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 blah. We start talking, things start clicking and, um, and then before you know it, like I'm going back and hanging out at the house later on that night and we're all hanging out and we're all just sitting around drinking, having a good time. And, um, he and I stay up later conversation, little bit of kissing, see you later. I'm going home. Um, and, uh, you know, then from there it was just kind of like, that's all she wrote. We were, um, we were inseparable kind of at that point. Um, and I never, ever took note, again, this is me um, with the ignorance of addiction, I never, ever took note of how much my husband would drink um, right. when we were together. I just didn't take note of it. Um, and uh, so he and I were hanging out, and I'm not a real big drinker. But when he was around, or wh whenever we were together, it was always like, come on, let's go get some beers. Is that oh, okay, fine. Um, yeah, I would drink one or two and be totally fine. And it, it didn't even phase me that this dude's already like drank like six in like a, you know, <laughs> 45 right. minute period. I didn't think anything of it. It's just like, oh, okay. Um, and so fast forward, everything's great. We were, like I said, we're so in love. My children love him. He's fantastic with the boys. Um, Fast forward, uh, you know, like maybe, I don't know, five months into the relationship, we're like, uh, you know what, go, let's go ahead and let's move in together. Like, this is just going so wonderfully well. And again, um, didn't take note of how much he was drinking. I, it just, it didn't even occur to me. Um, I did note, though, that I never had alcohol always in my house. Right. But when he moved in, that was something that was like, you know, when you're making the grocery shopping list, bread, milk, beer, um, you know, a trip by ABC store to pick up a bottle of vodka. It just became part of the grocery shopping list. Yep. Um, and, uh, and so lo and behold, you know, we're just, we're kind of moseying along in our relationship. Everything is going well. 
Um, and uh, he, uh, in 2015, asks me to marry him. Of course, I say yes. Um, and, and it's just, everything is rolling beautifully. Life is so beautiful. I have three children at that point. I had soul, I have and had sole physical legal custody of because again, my ex-husband with the alleged abuse, um, through the court system, they gave me sole physical legal custody of my children, which my, my current husband stepped up to that fatherly role, like nobody's business. Um, I'm telling you, you cannot tell this man back then or to this day that those are stepchildren. Yeah. Those, my, these my are his too. boys. Yeah. yeah these are his boys. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's actually kind of comical because sometimes when we're in the grocery store with my youngest one, like cashiers will be like, Oh my God, he looks so much like his dad. And I kind <laughs> of like giggle. <laughs> I'm like, sure. Okay. <laughs> Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe when you hang out with somebody, you start to like resemble them. I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, but anywho, you, yeah, you cannot tell this man that these are not his biological, biological children because these are his, these are his boys. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so we're here, we are in 2015, we're engaged. It's now the beginning of 2016. Our wedding is scheduled in the springtime, May of 2016. And his younger sister comes over and she's like, I, I have a, a project that I have to do um, for school. And it's an exercise project. It's me taking someone's pulse prior to exercise and then having them do an exercise activity, whether it's jumping jacks, push-ups, sit-ups, mm -hmm. whatever, for like 30 seconds and then checking their pulse again, and then checking it again like a minute later, right? So we, of course, volunteer. Of course, we'll help you with your school project. Why not? So she does mine, gets all the numbers. She goes to do my husband's, and she's like, Cameron, you're, he, and by the way, he only did like 25 push-ups. She's like, Cameron, your pulse is going so fast, I can't even count it. I'm like, wow. no, there's no way. So and again, I work in the um, medical field and happens to be cardiology. Um, so I'm like, Cam, sit for a minute, let your pulse get down to resting, have him do it again. And I'm like, I'm going to count his pulse, Madison. So check his pulse. I can barely even count his pulse because it's going so damn fast. Wow. And I'm like, what the hell? This is not normal. So Again, I, now I'm raising concern, and, he, and he's kind of like, okay, you're being overdramatic here. Chill out, chill out. I'm like, no, seriously, we, we got a problem. Um, so I immediately, like, contact one of my physicians, and I'm like, I, I want to put a monitor on, on my fiancé. I just want to make sure, you know, wedding's coming up. Maybe it's the wedding jitters that someone right. has a, a pulse of, like, 160 after doing – 25 push-ups. Um, and he's a fit guy too, by the way. Right. <laughs> um, so go and schedule him an appointment with the cardiologist, come in, do everything. And the cardiologist is like, the monitor looked okay, but just for kicks and giggles to shut Sarah up, let's do an <laughs> echo on you. So <laughs> everybody knows I'm going to nag the hell out of you. <clears throat> so let's just do an echo on you just to shut Sarah up. Later on that night, the cardiologist calls me and he's like, we got a problem. Oh. I need, I need Cameron to be brutally honest with me because he is 28 years old. I scored myself a younger man. Um, <laughs> he is 28 years old and his 
ejection fraction, which for, I'm put that in layman's terms, it's the pumping function of your heart, okay? How much, the percentage of how much blood is going through and, and all that good jazz. It's really, really low. Um, and so low that we, we need to get him on like medication now. And if it doesn't bring it up, we need to start looking at possibly putting an ICD, a defibrillator in his heart. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what the, what the hell? How, yeah. how does someone that has the, you know, the stature that he does, 28 years old, have an ejection fraction of like an 80 year old man, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell? So that was my first kind of like, what's really going on here? So my husband gets put on medicines and he's in and out of the cardiologist's office at this point, like every two weeks to every month, um, because the doctors are very concerned that, again, he might need to have a procedure that could potentially be life-saving. Right. And when he's sitting in the cardiologist's office, and I, I work there, he, um, he didn't want me to come into any of the appointments. And I, and I kind of thought that that was a little weird. Later on, I find out he didn't want me in the appointments because he was being brutally honest with the cardiologist to tell the cardiologist exactly how much he was drinking, and he didn't want me to know. And of course, at the time, I didn't know that. But um, that's, you know, now later on, he's, he's told me that. Mm-hmm. And the cardiologist at the time told him, if you keep going at that rate, dude, I give you like three months. Like, you're going to die. Like, this is bad. Mm-hmm. So I need you to really cut back on your drinking, if not quit. And I need you to really take these meds. So um, start doing all of that. And uh, about two weeks after he gets diagnosed with this heart condition, I get a phone call from him in the back of a police car. And I'm like, what? He's in North Carolina. He's been arrested for a DUI. (sighs) And we know people that he's from North Carolina. And it just so happens that one of his friends works down at the courthouse. So I contact, and it happened to be one of his groomsmen. So I, I contacted him and I'm like, Hey, what the hell's going on? Cam's been pulled over for DUI. Like, what is he, like, what did he blow, you know? And, and this guy contacts me. He's like, Sarah, I don't know if they're taking him to jail or if they're taking him to the hospital to have his stomach pumped. I'm like, why? why? Sarah, he blew a 0.35. Holy fuck. He should be dead. What? A 0.35? And he, wait a minute. He was still conscious, driving, like not passed out, you know? I'd be passed out somewhere. Right? So (laughs) he did not go to the hospital because according to the police officer, he was standing and talking and walking just fine. So I drive down to North Carolina. Of course, I have to have my car taken out of impoundment and bail him out of jail. And, um, you know, this was the first time that I'm kind of like, what is really going on here? You know, I, I really don't know. And so, um, he tried telling me again, these, these addicts, active addicts are master manipulators. Um, he tried telling me that he, because of the heart condition, he just couldn't take it. And he went out and he had a little bit too much to drink and then driving home and got caught or what have you. 
And, uh, you know, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm okay. I mean, I guess I can see that you're 28, you're, you've been diagnosed with a lifelong heart condition. This, <laughs> that is pretty harsh. Um, so, but he had said, I am going to start cutting back though, Sarah. I, I am, I am. Oh, okay. All right. I think that's probably a good idea. So we get married and I think that things are being cut back because I, instead of only seeing like him drinking, like, you know, the six regular beers at night, I, I only start seeing two. So I'm like, okay, he really is cutting back and we're trying to get this under control and yay, this is, this is going well. And, um, fast forward into a little bit later into 2016 and, um, <clears throat> he starts, he starts acting like he's there and he's present, but I could just tell that something was not right. Like he just seemed more depressed. Um, and with my husband with depression comes out his anger side. And, um, right before Christmas in 2016, he had, he had landed himself an awesome job with a HVAC company. He'd been doing HVAC for years and um, everything was going great. I mean, he was getting paid a ridiculous amount of money and um, I come home from work and I find him passed out on the bed and there's a fifth right next to him. And I'm like, why are you home? What the hell? Well, he had gotten into an argument with the coworker and he couldn't let it go. And so he started beating the shit out of this coworker and was immediately, you know, terminated. Yeah. And, uh, upon being immediately terminated, he carried himself to the ABC store and got so intoxicated that he passed out. And, um, I'm like, okay, this, you know, this is, this is really becoming uh, a huge issue now you're losing jobs. Like you, you've got a DUI hanging over your head. You know, you, you've, you have a heart condition. You're losing jobs now. Like what is going on? And, um, that's when he told me, I do have a problem, but my problem is with liquor. My problem isn't with, um, beer. It's just with liquor. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's where they that start what, off. Is that what they, is that all that it is? It's just liquor. Oh, okay. So then let's just cut all the liquor out of the house. Right. No, no worries. Um, and so that's, that's what I thought was the, the problem solver. We, we just get rid of the liquor. Right. So getting rid of the liquor and yay, I think things could possibly start going better, but, but they're not. And I'm not really understanding why they're not because, well, Hey, we, we got rid of the liquor, right. And, and, and you're maintaining your two beers a night and you've got another job now. So what, what, what's going on? But I could just tell that just something wasn't really right. And I, he came to me in early January of 2017 and was just like, Sarah, I can't do this anymore. And, and I'm thinking he's talking about our marriage. I'm like, well, yeah. you know, what are you talking about? He's like, I want to kill myself. Oh no. Why? Why would you want to kill yourself? Like we, we've, we've got the, the boys and, and, and like everything's going well. Like, you know, you're on meds. What, what's going on? I want to kill myself, Sarah. Okay. Let's get you over to the hospital. I'm going to pack your bags for you. 
Megan, I go to open up this man's dresser drawer and I never could understand. He told me that he kept his clothes outside because he kept piles of his clothes outside the dresser drawer. I, you know, I would wash and fold all the clothes and separate everything out. Right. And he would always never put them in the dresser because he said that he was constantly wearing them because of work and all that stuff. And it's just easier to access. Sure. Okay. Whatever. I go to open up his dresser drawer to get clothes. There was no clothes in there. What was in every single drawer was old beer cans and alcohol bottles stuffed in every single drawer. And like my heart, like literally was like, it sank. And I looked at him and I'm like, what, what the hell is this? And he's just like, please, I, I don't want to explain. We got to go to the hospital. So get him packed up, take him to, to the, um, take him to a mental hospital in Virginia beach. Um, they immediately admit him. And after seeing that, it kind of cued my curiosity. Like what else is like, you know, being hidden around my house. Right. So he's gone. I go home and I start looking. Um, I find, I find fits of vodka and gin hidden everywhere underneath the mattress. Um, I find them shoved behind in the bathroom, um, the bathroom sink area. I find them hidden up near our AC unit in the house that we had. Um, I even got up on the kitchen countertops where he had flattened water bottles and come to find out when he would be leaving for work, you know, here I am thinking that he's filling up water bottles. It, those bottles were filled with, with gin and vodka. Wow. That's what he was drinking. Um, so I start finding all these things and discovering all these things. And, and I'm immediately going into like a panic because it's like, this, this cannot be happening to me. Like I've just left like the most, you know, God awful toxic relationship. Everything is great. This man is fantastic. He accepts me. He accepts my children. How I can't not lose him. Right. Because right. Th this just, this, this, isn't, this can't happen. So um, at the hospital, he's there for like a week and right before discharge, they always have like a family session for, for your spouse to come in. And that's when it's like, okay, so your, your husband has been diagnosed with, um, bipolar as well as depression. Um, and it looks like he is admitting to an alcohol problem. Oh yeah, yeah. He only has a problem with, with, uh, liquor. Right. I mean, that's, that's right. And you know, of course the, the poor nurse is like, our counselors looking at me like this chick is, <laughs> this chick is, <laughs> I don't want to call her dumb, but she's dumb. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I, I'm, I'm like, okay, we're, you know, meds, we're good. He's going to go into counseling and therapy and all this good stuff. And they're like, yeah, we want him to, um, go ahead and, and start this, um, IOP intense outpatient program. We think that it's going to be good for him. Oh, okay. Let, let's do that. Let's go do, do this IOP. I'm on board. This is great. Cam, we're going to take care of this. We're a team, right? This is, we got this. It became a we, okay. I'm going to say after, after that first hospital visit, it wasn't, I'm here to support you. It was, we're, we got this. Right. We're in this together. Okay. Because that to me was a huge shift for my brain. 
this wasn't my husband's addiction. It became our addiction. Mm -hmm. And, um, so he starts, you know, going to these, um, IOPs and, um, again, they have family nights and I went for family night and at family night, I met this fantastic therapist, probably the most feisty woman I've ever met outside of myself. Um, and she was awesome. And she's awesome too, because she's also blunt as hell, just like I am. And in this meeting, she's like, so Miss Sarah, what are you doing for yourself in this situation? And what, what are you talking about? Um, what are you doing for yourself? I'm, I'm, I don't know. What, what do you want me to do? Have you ever heard of Al-Anon? No. What, what the hell is Al-Anon? Maybe you should go. Maybe you should go to Al-Anon and he needs to start going to, to AA. Well, of course, my husband was like, I ain't going to no damn AA meetings. I'm, I don't believe in any of that shit. Hell no, I ain't doing that. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Al-Anon. But, you know, I'm not the one that has a problem. So I don't really think that I should be going any type of counseling thing, whatever. We're going to try to deal with this one on our own. We, we got this. Like, Cam and I, we're a team, man. We've seen some serious shit in our relationship, but we got this. This is nothing, right? Uh, okay, Sarah. All right. Well, you let me know how that goes for you. So... I go to a couple more family sessions, um, and every single time I go in, she'd be like, have you gone to an Al-Anon meeting? No, I don't have time to do that. She's like, oh, okay. And in the meantime, of course, she's asking my husband every time, have you gone to an AA meeting? No. Oh, okay. So um, here goes my husband as soon as the intense outpatient program's over. It's another error of depression. Sarah, I got to go back to the hospital. I think I'm going to kill myself. Shit, here we go again. Goes back to the hospital. Um, and in this stint, I will tell you from January until God bless, I couldn't even tell you the month. It was still in 2017, probably like summer of 2017. This man went to the uh, mental hospital in Virginia Beach six times. Um, he was a frequent flyer there. Like they knew him by his first name. All the staff did. Hey, what you doing back here, Cam? Um, and I just didn't understand why we couldn't, why he couldn't get it. What's going on? You know, we're, we're on meds. You've got the diagnoses. What, what, what's going on? And um, of course, in the meantime, I had no idea again, that this man was continuing to seriously drink. I had yeah. no idea. You know, people sit there and it's like, how did you not know? I didn't know. I, I, I cannot say that enough. I did not know. And um, finally, someone, I can't remember who it was, but someone convinced him to go to an AA meeting. And in that, and it just so happened that an AA meeting and an Al-Anon meeting were at the same exact time. So we both go, it was in the same building. We both go. And the words of this therapist in that IOP program came out to me where she, she kept using this word boundaries. You mm. got to start setting boundaries, boundaries. What the hell is a boundary, right? <laughs> what does that mean? So I walk into this Al-Anon meeting and here's a room full of people and they're all happy and I'm not really happy. I'm kind of sad because my life's not going very well right now and it should be. I'm a newlywed. And, but my husband just keeps falling into this damn depression and is at this point, can't even hold a job for longer than a month. 
He's job hopping like crazy. He keeps getting unemployed. I don't know why. Of course, I find out later on why, because he keeps showing up intoxicated to work, but he always had another reason. Oh, uh, you know, they, they laid me off because I don't have enough work. Oh, this, oh, that. And I'm not looking into any of it. I'm, I'm just believing every damn thing that's coming out of his mouth. Um, and so I walk into this, this Al-Anon room and I'm like, can I ask you guys a question? What the hell are boundaries? And like, how do I get them? And <laughs> they're, they look at me and they're like, oh, she's a new one. And they gave me the answer. And I got to tell you, the very first time they gave me that answer, I was a little bit pissed off at them because they're like, a boundary is, is, is yours. It's just that it's yours. No one can tell you what your boundaries are. And I didn't like that answer because I needed somebody to tell me what to do. How do I fix my husband? Right? How, how right. do I, what do I do? And for you to look at me and tell me, we don't have that answer. You have the answer on what your boundaries are. That's not what I'm looking for. I need you to tell me what to do. So I got a little pissed off, but sitting in the room and hearing other people's stories, it also kind of enlightened me like, well, damn, some of these stories sound awfully similar to mine with different, you know, with a few twists and turns and eat in everybody's story. But all of these stories sound kind of the same. You know, here's, here's other people that are sitting in here talking about how their, their spouses or significant others are, uh, you know, they're, they're walking in, they're finding alcohol all over the house and here they are passed out and can't keep a job. Well, damn. Um, so I continue to go to these Al-Anon meetings and, um, and in turn, my husband, because I would go to Al-Anon just to pacify me, he would go to AA. Um, of course, again, at the time I didn't know that he was like showing up at all these AA meetings completely lit too, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, he was doing it just to kind of keep me, I guess, happy, you know, oh, she's going, I'll, I'll go and pacify her. And, um, I really started learning a lot in these, in these rooms. I, I really started learning like about the, the, the disease and, and, and alcoholism isn't always that bum on the corner. Like, mm -hmm. wait a minute, you're telling me that like you're married to a lawyer that's an alcoholic, like, but a lawyer's successful, right? How can they be an alcoholic? Like, how is that even possible? And, and so my, my ignorance towards disease and addiction started, that wall started to come down and what, what started to actually build were the boundaries because I started learning like i now know why these people are happy because they're not allowing this addict to manipulate and and figure out ways to like you know twist stories and 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 uh do things to them to make them feel like they're responsible in some type of way for why things are happening the way that they are and the more AA meetings he was going to and the more Al-Anon meetings that, that I was going to, our relationship actually started to get worse because he started, I started noting down and, and going through and looking and seeing really how much he was drinking. And um, I'm still trying to fix him too. On top of doing these Al-Anon meetings, I'm still trying to fix him. And none of the things that I'm doing are working. Um, you know, Cam, here you are drunk again. You've lost another job. Um, let's, 
let's do the, what, what's one of those suggestions that they do? 90 meetings in 90 days. Let's, let's do that. Let, yeah, that, that's a good idea, right? 90 meetings in 90 days. And my husband, of course, is like, yeah, 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 we'll try that. Let, let's do that. Okay, awesome. Three meetings in. Here you are, we're boring drunk again. Okay, the 90 meetings in 90 days didn't work. Okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's try, let's get you another sponsor. Your other sponsor's not working for you. He, he doesn't get you. Let's get another sponsor. My husband, of course. Okay, let, let's try that. Nothing's working. In the meantime, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I, here I am renting this house, and I'm like, I want to buy my own house. This house is too small. I want to move forward with my life. And I went ahead and, and started taking the steps to buying a house, um, which I did. And the house was bought and we moved in in, in uh, September of 2017. And at that point in time, Megan, I was really sick of his, excuse my French, of his fucking yeah. drinking. Yeah. I was over it. Um, he was, like I said, could not keep a damn job to save his life. Um, I was constantly starting to smell like, because his, his, he, he started becoming a more sloppy drunk, I guess you could say. And it comes um, out their pores. It does when yes. they drink that much. It just like, instead of sweat, there's alcohol coming out. Right. And what, what had happened at this point too, just, again, to pacify me, not him, to pacify me. See, he uh, come to find out like, and, and again, all of this has come out now that he is in recovery, but come to find out when my husband and I were first together, um, this man was taking in at least a half a gallon of liquor a day mm. on top of the beers that he was drinking. And so that was his norm. And when I started doing the Al-Anon meetings and he was doing AA, he really did try, I can say, but it wasn't for him. It was for me. He really was trying to stop. So he would go two and three days without drinking, but then he would immediately have to do it again because he would start getting very sick, yeah. um, sweating, throwing up, shaking. I mean, at one point I thought maybe he was going to have a seizure. So, but without have, without maintaining that norm, like, so he could drink, um, when he was drinking that much on a daily basis, no one would have ever have known. Right. Um, because that was his norm. But when you start cutting back off of your norm and then you do the binging, mm -hmm. your body isn't adjusted to it like it used to be. So whereas before he could walk like a straight line, no problem, right? When, mm -hmm. when he was blowing a 0.35, when you go three days without and then you binge it, well, now I can tell because now you're being sloppy. Your words are slurring. You're bumping into walls. You're acting a fool. You're going into empty rooms that the children aren't even in and telling them to go clean up their rooms because you're hallucinating. Um, you know, like, so at that point when it was getting to that point, oh, and also on top of that, whereas before when he was drinking, he was a very sweet, loving, 
you know, wonderful, wonderful person. He was starting to get angry now. Um, not angry in the sense of like, like pushing me against, like, not like that, but just like irritable. Yes. Very irritable. And, um, if something, something so stupid didn't go his way, like storming out of a room and slamming a door. And of course my kids are like, what's wrong with dad? Um, yes. And my children side note, they do call my husband, dad. They have, Mine do, um, that was, that was their decision that was never pushed yeah. on them. Um, they will tell you that that is their dad. They will not tell you any different. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, what's, what's wrong with dad? And, and I'm like, I, I, I don't know. And I don't feel like dealing with it, but nonetheless, this dark cloud of addiction was hovering over my house and it was making me so that I didn't want to be around him. The kid, like the house was on edge at all times. We didn't know which camera we were going to walk into that day. You know, had he been drinking? Had he not been drinking? Um, is he going to keep this job today? Is he going to lose it? You know, just like all of these extra what ifs all over the place that would keep me up at night. And I just was getting so sick and tired and fed up with it. So I made myself a promise. And that was when we move into this new house, this man is not allowed to bring alcohol into this house. If he does, you know, he's out. Like, I love my husband to death, but he is not going to sneak alcohol into this house like he did the other one, where I'm going around and finding alcohol stored in all of these random ass places, you know, bottoms of laundry baskets, all in the garage, underneath the crawl space. I'm not dealing with it in this new house. So we move in September of 2017. I'm so stupid proud of myself that I have come up from this god-awful divorce, have custody of my kids. I bought this house in my name, by the way. This house is 100% in my name. Um, and, and it's like, this is great. Uh, you know, things are going well on that end. But the marriage itself and my husband, it, we're not doing great. But hopefully maybe this is a turning point because I made it extremely clear. We are not doing the alcohol sneaking in, in this new house. This new house is a new starting point for us. That old house is where all of the shit of all the abuse, you know, was, was, um, made aware and all of this addiction stuff started, you know, this is almost like a new chapter for us, right? New beginning, new house. We, we get to decide what, what our future and destiny is from here. So move into this new house. And because my husband still has a DUI hanging over his head, he can't drive. So he asks me, Sarah, can you drive me to an AA meeting? Sure. No problem. So drop him off in an AA meeting that happens to be right next to a bar. And, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, come home and AA meetings an hour long. And I'm looking at my phone and I'm like, it's like an hour and 15 minutes. Like why, what the hell's going on? So call him and he answers his phone and I hear a lot of music in the background. And I'm like, "Mm, that that doesn't sound good. Um, what's going on? Oh, it's just a band playing outside of, you know, the AA meeting, you know? Uh, yeah, you can come get me. I'm ready. Okay. So I drive to go pick him up. And, um, I'm like, you, you've been drinking. Yeah. You, you went to that bar instead, right? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? No, you've been drinking. Get out of my fucking car. He, his eyeballs like opened like four times the size. I'm like, get out of my car. You are not coming home. I'm, I'm done. I'm over this. I am so done with this shit. And he got out and he stormed away and I drove off. 
And it was the hardest and best thing that I did to, to sit there and kick somebody out that you know is bipolar, mm-hmm. in depression, has suicidal tendencies, is not in the right state of mind, but I couldn't take it anymore. That was my rock bottom. I could not take it anymore. And I was not going to allow him to destroy the, this new home and what it stood for on how it was basically like a restart button for all of us. I was not going to allow him to come in and, um, and ruin that. And so I knew by driving off that he could have gone and, you know, hooked up with some other chick uh, and not remembered the next morning, or he could have ended up fighting some random person in the street and getting arrested. And I knew all of that, but that for me was the light bulb that clicked off that these Al-Anon people kept talking about, which was these boundaries. And that if that's what he does, that's his decision, mm-hmm. regardless of what I do, regardless that is his choice. And so I drove home. I didn't sleep at all that night. And um, he came back the next morning and um, I had called his sponsor and his sponsor was like, you kicked him out. You got to, you got to let him stay kicked out, Sarah. Like your husband is probably one of the worst alcoholics I've ever seen in my life. And um, he, he, by you letting him stay there, you could be helping kill him. So you kicked him out. You got to let him stay kicked out. He's got to, he's got to figure this one out on his own. So he came into the house and I was in the process of like packing up some bags for him and his medicines. And I looked and I was like, what what are you doing here? You're not allowed here. He, he legit thought that I just kicked him out for the night. I was like, no, you're gone. You, you have to leave. And he's, are you serious? I'm dead serious. You got to go. I I love you, but I cannot let you do this to me and these boys anymore. So handed him his bag and he left. And for a temporary time, he went and he lived with another couple that was in um, AA. And, um, you know, he he and I kept in touch, um, mainly just through phone, you know, hey, how's your day going? Um, And the AA person he was living with had told me they were in recovery um, told me that at first they thought he was doing great. Well, that until they went rummaging through his room and they found alcohol bottles everywhere. And, um, he had managed to score himself yet another job. And, um, on Halloween of 2017, I get a phone call from his work. Hey, do you know where Cameron is? No, he was supposed to show up. He came in and he picked up his paycheck and he said he was going to be right back and he's never showed up. He, He had a shift. Nope. I have no idea where he is. So my heart sank at that point. I was like, son of a bitch, because here he is like not really in communications with his wife. I, my husband has always made me extremely aware of how much he loves me. And, and, and even in his addiction, I know, I know that I was his, you know, his world is still him. Um, he just couldn't love me the way that he really wanted to love me, you know, because uh, addictions in the way. Um, And, uh, so I'm, I'm worried, but again, there's nothing I can do. And I received a phone call from him from a stairwell down near the ocean front. And he's like, 
I can't do this anymore. I need help. And whereas before, when I was trying to help, I was the one that was orchestrating his help. Right. I was the one that was making all of the suggestions, the 90 meetings in 90 days. Let's get you a new sponsor. These were all my ideas. Nothing came from him. And that's why it never worked before. Um, he just was going along with it, right? Because guess what? If the plan failed, it wasn't his plan to begin with, right? So he called me and he's like, I can't do this anymore. And I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I need you to pick me up. I need you to take me to the hospital. All right. So I picked him up, took him to the hospital. He blew a 0.28, I believe it was, even though he claimed that he hadn't had anything to drink in four hours. Yeah, who knows? I wasn't there. I, I don't he know. He may have not had anything to drink in four hours. He was just that yeah, right? fucking hammered before that. Yeah, this this is true because later on he did tell me that he drank down two fifths in less than an hour in that staircase, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, the hospital again because he's such a frequent flyer there. You know, they admitted him, and uh, then the very next day was visiting hours at the hospital, and and I went back and forth with myself on whether or not I was going to go visit him, but something clicked in my head, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to write him a letter, and I'm going to tell him in this letter how much I truly love him. I do. He is fantastic. He's a wonderful person. I've always seen that in him, and he's a phenomenal father and, and has the ability to be a wonderful husband. And all of these are choices that he has to make. But if, but if this isn't what he wants, who am I to tell you how to live your life? If you want to die an alcoholic's death, who am I to tell you that you can't? That's not my right. It's not my right to to decide how you're going to live. If you want to live on the street, that's your choice. I don't agree with it, but it's your choice. And, you know, I just can't let it in my house because because the the toxicity of addiction, it is a family addiction. It's a family disease. It doesn't impact one person. It impacts the entire family. And I can't do that. I can't have my children witnessing you know, you stumbling into walls and you talking to people that aren't there. And we don't know if you're going to be happy that day or mad. That's not fair to them. And it's not fair to me. And it's not fair to you that if that's how you want to live, that I'm sitting here and nagging you and telling you that's not what you should do. Right. So I wrote him this letter and, you know, I told him, I was like, it's your choice. I will never divorce you. Um, I, but I will, and I will, um, I, 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 I will always love you. I just can't allow it in my house anymore. And again, these are all your decisions. So I wrote this letter and I went to the hospital and I literally handed him the letter and I was just like, you know, um, and he told me, he said, they're discharging me tomorrow. And I said, Oh really? He said, yeah, the same doctor that's seen me for like the past four times is basically like, why the hell are you here again? We're discharging you. There's nothing that we can do for you here, Cameron. We've tried everything. We've, we've set you up with IOPs. We've suggested AA meetings for you. We've adjusted your medicines. At this point, sir, you're the one that's doing this. And we're not going to keep re-hospitalizing you and having you stay here for a week and then another week and then another week. You're done. You're, you're, we're kicking you out tomorrow. And um, 
So he, like I said, he told me that he was leaving and I said, okay, well, you know, you might want to read the letter and you know, if you call me, I'm here to help you, but I'm not here to tell you what to do or, or to make any suggestions. It's a hundred percent. We're going to have to organically come from you. And if you don't call me, I understand. I understand if you're not done with whatever's going on with you. Um, I just can't live with it anymore. And, um, that night he, like, I, I, I went home and I thought for sure that I was going to get a phone call like right away. And I didn't. And, um, at like nine 30, I was kind of like, Oh shit, he's going to get this church tomorrow. I haven't heard from him. And this is, this is the life I, you know, I, this is what it is. When the kids wake up, I'm just going to have to tell them, you know, like dad's dad's kind of doing his thing right now. And you know, I, I will never keep him from seeing you guys. Um, you know, if, if reach out and call him and talk to him, but he just can't stay here. And, um, so he ended up calling me at like 10 30 that night. And he said, um, you know, I, I got your letter and, and I got to try to figure this out. Okay. No problem, but I'm not going to be the one to make your, your suggestions. So he got discharged the next day, went to the place that he was living, but not before stopping by 7-Eleven and picking up two forties of steel reserve and drinking them and called me and said, I, I got to go to rehab. Okay. So he came back to the house. I did allow him to come back to the house because it's on my insurance and with the insurance, the way that my insurance is set up, because I'm the policy holder, um, in order for him to get certain, uh, access to stuff, they have to have the policy holders permission and eh, all this, you know, uh, extra BS. Right. So I allowed him to come to the house. Um, and he is the one that made I don't even know how many phone calls he made because I wasn't paying attention. I was upstairs folding clothes. Um, he was down here making phone calls. Um, and then he told me, he said, there, there's a rehab center in Virginia and there's one in Florida. Which one should I pick? I don't know. Which one should you pick? Like literally I did not help him period with any of this. This was all him. And he ended up picking the one in Virginia and the very next day off to rehab, he goes. And, um, I'm very, very happy to say that my husband has been in recovery since, um, November 2nd of 2017. Um, and that has been wonderful. And it, it's, it's a day by day thing. There is nothing out there saying that today or even tomorrow that he's not going to go and drink. You know what right. I mean? It's, it literally is a just for today. And I have to live by that as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people out there, I, I, I understand the embarrassment and the shame of when you're dealing with an addict, you really, you try to like hide it. Because it's so embarrassing. You don't want people to know. And, um, you know, I, I understand and I, I just, I encourage for pe anybody out there to really try to find a way to reach out and, and, um, and, and start getting some support because addiction is huge. People don't even realize how, how many addicts are out there. Right. Dude, I cannot tell you how many people I have run into in these AA and Al-Anon rooms. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. 
you're, you're an alcoholic too? Whoa, hey, high five. You know, it's like, it's almost kind of like it's a, these, those rooms are its own little like secret society meeting. And I know a lot of people are deterred from the rooms because they hear like, um, you know, the words of like God, as a matter of fact, Megan, we have a mutual friend that, um, she was hesitant to go into, um, some AA rooms for a class that she had to do. And she was asking me about it and she's like, yeah, but don't they promote like religion and Jesus and all that stuff? No. <laughs> what makes you think that? Yeah, but they're held at churches. So they're held at churches. That's, that's not. AA and Al-Anon is nothing more. And I believe I've heard you say it on your um, podcast before. It's, it is a higher power and a higher power yeah. is whatever you want to make it. Mm -hmm. It's not, it doesn't have to be God. It doesn't have to be Jesus. It, it can be a rock in the sky. It can be a flower. <laughs> it can be whatever you want it to be. Just knowing that there's something else out there that is stronger than, you know, than us and can help us take away, um, take away some of the, the weights on, that's on our shoulders. And, um, and it's, it's been a crazy ass journey and it still is. Um, but with him in recovery and I myself in, in, in recovery too, because I don't have the addiction that he does have, but I do have the addiction of codependency. Yeah. That is my addiction. It is a real addiction. Um, you know, trying to fix other people, trying to uh, control, you know, oh, this is what's best for you. Damn it. Do it. You know, mm -hmm. I, this is, you have to do it. Um, that's codependency. And that, that's my addiction. And he's working his side of the street and I'm working mine. I pay attention to my side of the street. He pays attention to his. And if he was to go back out and drink, that's his choice. And I'm not going to partake in it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow it to, to drag me down, but it has taken a long time for us to get there. And it's taken a lot of, um, a lot of help and a lot of soul searching and digging. And for me to have to look at myself just as much as he had to look at himself in the mirror and admit that he was an alcoholic. And what do I do to change this? I had to look in the mirror myself and say, I'm a codependent. And what he does with his life is his damn business. It's not mine. That was a hard thing to do. Yeah. That was a really hard thing to do. You know, like when you see somebody that you love, that's self-destructing, all you want to do is fix them. Yeah. And you, you almost want to shake them. You know, what the hell are you doing, man? But it's a hard thing to do to have to step back and say, that, that's their life and that's their choice. And if that's what they choose to do, there's nothing I can do except for support them whenever they're ready to come out of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, unfortunately with the, with the disease of addiction and stuff, we've, we've lost touch with uh, family members. Certain family members will not speak to us anymore because, you know, unfortunately they, they might still be active in an addiction of their own or, right. um, they like to think that, um, I have quote unquote made my husband, you know, stop drinking. I promise you, if I could have, if I had that power, not, I would not be on this podcast talking about this situation right, right. now. You know, um, no one can make an addict get better. Yeah. <laughs> they can't. If that was the case, I don't think we would have addicts out there. Um, learning so much though about addiction. And that's the other thing that I really did is I really dove in deep and started learning about it. 
You know, addicts, they're not bad people. They're not dirty people. They are, they're sick. Mm -hmm. And on everything holy, I promise you, anybody that is dealing with an addict, they, they don't want to live that life just as much as you don't want them to live that life. But they have to be the one to come to the table and say, I don't want to do this anymore. And whatever a rock bottom is, you know, because I kept hearing that word rock bottom, rock bottom. And I kept thinking to myself, every time that that man went back into the mental hospital, oh, this has got to be his rock bottom. Shit can't get any worse from here, right? Oh, he, um, he, he's the, the heart condition that has to be the, you know, the, thinking back about this heart condition, that has to be his rock bottom. Oh, the, the fact that he has a DUI, that has to be a rock bottom. No, no, I didn't get to decide what his rock bottom was. It, he's the one that figured out what his rock bottom was and, and his rock bottom got hit when he went to rehab and, and he told me the, the very, the second day that he was there, that a doctor came and met with him and, you know, was going over his medical history and, um, his heart stuff and everything. And, and the doctor said to him, he was like, you know, how much do you love your family? He said, I love my family with everything. And the doctor said, okay. So I need you to do me a favor. I need you to make me at least like one promise. And, you know, my husband's like, okay. He's like, if you love your family as much as you say that you do, and you're not done drinking, and you truthfully, Cameron, are the only one that knows if you're done, and you don't even have to tell me if you're done. Just be honest with yourself. But if you're not done drinking, I need you to do me one favor. Promise me. What is it? Leave your family. And my husband said his eyeballs like, like almost popped out of his head, like, excuse me, leave my family. The doctor was like, yeah, leave your family. If you truly love your family, as much as you sit here and talk about your wife and your boys, as much as you do, and you're not done drinking, leave them. And I'm going to tell you why, because Sid Cameron, you are knocking on death's doorstep and your family is going to find your body and it's going to be very soon. It's going to be in less than a year. And if you really love your family, don't you dare burden them with finding your body. You leave and you let some other person find your body, but don't do that to your wife. And don't you dare do that to your kids. You have to promise me that one thing. And I'll never forget because when he, he called me from rehab, he, he only got a couple phone calls a day and they were only like three to five minutes on. And he, and he called me and he was like, can you believe what the doctor just said to me? And, 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 and just the, the way he was describing it, it's almost like that doctor just scared the shit out of him. And that now, of course, my husband's sober, he's like, to, you know, or in recovery, I should say. Um, he tells me that that right there for him was the huge light bulb. Mm -hmm. And um, everybody's is different. You, you know what I mean? Everybody's yeah. is different. And everybody, and that goes back to like the boundaries. Everybody's boundaries is different. Mm -hmm. And um, dealing with an addict, sometimes the best thing you can do is love them from a distance. And sometimes yeah. that's the only thing you can do um, because addiction is so toxic and it is a family disease. And it is definitely, you're dealing with a manipulator. And as much as you want to believe when they're sitting there and looking at you and saying, I got this, I got this, you know, tears in their eyes and everything that they're good. <laughs> yeah. They are good. And, um, 
So, you know, that, that, that thus far is, is my journey in dealing with addicts. And maybe I, maybe I got the program so quickly this time, because a lot of times I've, I've been told it takes years for people to start really disconnecting from their addict, whereas it took me like eight months, right. um, maybe even less than that, maybe like seven months. But um, looking back, I, I don't know if maybe it was easier for me to disconnect because again, at the time I didn't necessarily realize all the stuff from the previous relationship, but dealing with a, a, an addict of a different type, a sex addict, you know, I just was like, I, I'm not doing this again. Like, I'm dead serious. I'm not doing this again. I just didn't have um, a lot of the tools and fundamentals and knowledge that I, in the first relationship that um, I did in the second one that I gained through all these different people that were, um, that I feel that my higher power placed in my life for me to understand and to regain control back of my life and, and focus on me and not my husband and his addiction. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, um, it, it really is, it, it's a journey and not everything is going to always end up bad. Uh, you know, sometimes, unfortunately it, you know, it doesn't always end up the way that it doesn't always end up where, you know, the addict is, it, it ends up in recovery, you know, and, and those are, those are really unfortunate stories and, and it's very sad. Um, but I feel like one of the best things that we can do for people that are in relationships, whether it's married, brother, sister, you know, child, if you know that you have an active addict in your family, you have to certainly learning to set boundaries and sticking by them. And you have to really, really consider loving them from a distance and, um, not, not being an enabler because I was such an enabler as well, you know, always right. make, Oh, you lost your job. Oh, that's okay. I'll, I'll go back and pick up a second job to help with the income, you know, <laughs> like, uh, no, that's not, no, you lost your job. <laughs> you better go find another one, you know? <laughs> But, um, I thought I was helping and really I was just giving him like, and you know, and, and one thing that he talks about now too, is he's like, back when we were dating, he's like, I, I noted that you, he's like, I knew that I was going to be able to get so many things over on you because I noted how much you drank and you barely did. He's like, and I, I took, you know, observation of that and realized this is going to be an easy one to, to be able to get so much shit over on. And he did, <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Congratulations. You did. But at the same time too, like all you did was actually give me a bunch of knowledge, <laughs> right? You know, it kind of backfired on you a little bit. Um, you gave me a bunch of knowledge, but that's, um, that's, that's my story of dealing with two addicts of two different types. And, um, it's a day-to-day -day journey. You know, I don't right. know what tomorrow will be, but for today, today, things are great. <laughs> We're both in recovery and it's wonderful. Well, Sarah, <laughs> I would love to say thank you for sharing that. I think you may have won the award for longest podcast episode. Oh my God. I am so <laughs> sorry. I am no, so sorry. You're fine. I, I love it. Actually, the last one that was really long too was about addiction. It was coming from somebody who was a drug addict. And oh, okay. So you like, so it's a kind of ironic that they were both about addiction. Um, but I don't like 
cutting and cutting out people's parts of people's stories because I feel like it's very important to heal, hear it all. And, and one thing I want people to take away with as we wrap this up is you did deal with two different kinds of addictions. And I actually dealt with two addicts in my life too, my father and my um, ex-fiance, baby daddy, um, my middle daughter's <laughs> father. And uh-huh. so um, the difference between what you're talking about, well, you talk about two different addicts, but one was very toxic and treated you like shit and was yeah. negative and was abusive. And one was a f- fantastic human being who, yes, towards the end, you, you saw the irritability and the anger, but he wasn't the one like tearing you down and treating no, you yeah. like abusing you. So what yeah. I want people to take away from this, <clears throat> both of the ones that I dealt with were very abusive, is yes, you may have to love them at a distance and maybe you don't love them at all. Maybe they have treated you like such dog shit. Yes. You're like, I'm out. Peace out, Girl Scout, because that's what I had to do. And as far as my ex is remarried and and he has children with his wife, but I'm not her, so I don't know what the situation is there. Um, Right. But I want people to see that, that sometimes it requires you to be like, I'm done. I'm out and I can't love you anymore because you have treated me like such crap. But then other times it is, I got to love you at a a distance. I'll support you. But both times the person has to decide on their own, like you said several times, to get the help. And if they decide to, that's on them. That's not on you. You have to take care of yourself the best way possible and say, I don't deserve this. And I'm not going to put up with this. And so you talking about boundaries was super important. So those are just some things I wanted to point out and pull out of that so people see that. And the major difference between the two addicts that you dealt with was not so much the addiction. It was what they put you through during that addiction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was absolutely wonderful. And I think it's going to help so many people. I hope so. And I apologize for going over. <laughs> Feel free to edit away. <laughs> oh no, I won't edit out any of it because I, I just can't like physically, I just can't do that to, to myself or to your story. So people will just have to deal with a little bit longer episode than they're used to. And hopefully they will see the value and the reason why I will not edit out a, and, and why I didn't edit out the other one, which I'll link up in the show notes because It is such a powerful thing for people to see that transition and what happened along the lines. And I was a teen mom too, so I understand that portion of it. Yeah. uh, Fortunately for me, my uh, my baby daddy did not want to have anything to do with me. (laughs) Oh God, getting married is not an option. Um, But you know. I just want to, if only, right. I'm glad we didn't get married. Cause holy shit, that would have been, um, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Of course. And I mean, for anybody, I don't know if you do any linking up with stuff, but for anybody that has any questions, please feel free to, to message me in any type of way. I, you know, I am here for nothing more than to help others out there in any type of support. Um, because Addiction is huge. It affects so many families and so many people are so embarrassed and ashamed of it. And, and, you know, my thing is, is don't be there. There is help and there is a totally separate way of life because you and I both know that that life is, is hell. It's hell. It's miserable. And we're, you know, life is too short to be waking up and living like that day to day to day. It's, it's not worth it. 
So, exactly. yeah. So if you ever have me back, I swear to God, I'll set a timer next time. <laughs> You're good. We will definitely have to have you uh, come back and talk about the alleged abuse that you yeah. several times because I've, that is a story we have not shared yet. Um, yeah. So thank you again, Sarah, for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you. You guys have a good day. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.